podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Ready? Play. Welcome, welcome everyone to Talking Tennis. It's uh, our weekly WTA show, which will be running uh, all the way up until Wimbledon, hopefully, most weeks. Um, absolute privilege to host, absolute privilege to be um, speaking with you and uh, with our guest, Handlon Walsh. Handlon, how are you doing? Where are you coming to us from? Hey, Nick. I'm doing well. Thank you. I am uh, coming from Birmingham, Alabama, in the southeast part of the US, and I actually just got back from uh, Charleston, South Carolina, from the Charleston Open late last night. So excited to talk all things WTA in Charleston. Oh yes, man on the ground. That's what I that's what we like to hear. Um you've got some uh access to some really good matches there. Um yeah, definitely. With the sound of it, so that's pretty good. Um Handlon, before we kind of talk a bit of tennis, I think this is your first time appearing on the Talking Tennis channel. So uh for those of our viewers who maybe aren't familiar with your work, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, who you write for, um sure. what your work's like? Yeah, I, so I write for the Tennis Tribe. Uh, I actually work full-time in PR, but um, on the side, I write for the Tennis Tribe, which is a doubles-focused media outlet um, alongside Will Bocek, who's the founder of the Tennis Tribe, and he he runs it um, full-time. But I write articles mostly focused on the doubles tour on the ATP and WTA, and then also um, help support the doubles-only podcast, uh, more of in a co-host type role. Uh, Will Bocek, who I mentioned, is the host of the doubles-only podcast, and we've been able to to have a lot of great guests on over the years, um, just talking doubles. We actually recently just spoke with Pam Shriver and Danielle Collins, Desiree Krauchik, and wow. several uh, players and coaches in Charleston as well. So a lot of a lot of good doubles conversations going on right now. And that's really important in tennis. I think I'm certainly guilty of this, but a lot, even established tennis fans, get far more caught up in the singles. And uh, the doubles mm-hmm. tour has got some absolutely great stories there. Um, and some really exciting matches going on there. I, I would say for me, WTA doubles is in a really interesting place. Uh, you've got these two or three teams who um, are uh, kind of th- th- at the top. You've got um, uh, Krajika Vasiniaka for obviously. You've got Goff and Pagula. Um, there's the the Japanese pairing as well. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, uh, Aoyama and Shibahara. Yes, I was a bit worried about pronouncing that. Oh, yeah. Um, I probably butchered it, but I think I'm getting it right. More <laughs> the longer I do it, um, but yeah, I agree that um, women's doubles is in a great place right now. And I think you know having a team like the Czech team of uh, Krajikov and Seniakova, who's really just dominating. I think it's great for doubles to have a marquee team like that. Um, that's just raising the bar for everyone and getting more people talking about doubles in general. Yeah, and it's nice that we've got some not uh, that they also include top ranked singles players as well. Um, mm-hmm. That there's a less of a specialization happening that we're, we're kind of going back to maybe the, the days of the 70s and 80s where players were playing both um, with Krajikova, um, Pagula and Goff being in there. Okay, Krajikova isn't quite back in the top 10 yet, but in my head, she's kind of top yeah, 10. She's, singles. She's, she's power top 10 right now, I think for sure. Um, and it's funny that you mentioned that too, because Pam Shriver, when we were talking to her in Charleston, she actually mentioned this, that she she really admires Goff and Pagula and Krajikova for having that kind of old school mentality of playing singles and doubles. Um, and it's great to see, you know, big names like Goff and Pagula, especially um, for the American tennis fan base. And I think just the household name that Coco has really globally too is, is great for doubles. So it's good to see top players, you know, play singles and doubles. Yeah. Maybe we'll talk a bit more about um, what happened in the doubles then. Um, Cause I know obviously the, the champions were uh, Daniel Collins and Desiree Kravchik, right? Yes, it yeah. was a really exciting final too. And I also, you know, I also follow singles really closely too. So I'm happy, you know, happy to okay. chat about both. But doubles is, you know, what I mostly cover right now anyways. Yeah. Okay. So we'll, pro- we'll probably um, hype it up. But um, let's talk about Charleston as a tournament before we kind of get into maybe some results. So um, Charleston's an interesting one because obviously it's kicking off the, the clay season on the WTA side. Um, it's a 500, was um, back in about 20 years ago, uh, was probably what we would now call a thousand status. I think it was tier one or tier two um, back then. Um, so um, it's always got a little bit of prestige around it, but it's this weird kind of halfway house 
between mm. a hard court and a clay and a full clay court as you would get at Roland Garros. And I I get the feeling that even people in the established tennis world don't really know um sort of where to place it. Um how do you see Charleston as a a preparation tournament for for Roland Garros? How relevant do you kind of see it as being? I, yeah, I think it I mean it's a great event. It has such a great reputation. And I was I'd heard, you know, nothing but positive things about it for many, many years and was excited to make my first trip in person there this year. So everything that people say about it is 100% true, just about the quality of the tournament. But in terms of the preparation and where it sort of falls on the tennis calendar, Nick, I agree with you that it's, you know, halfway houses is kind of a, an appropriate way to put it. Um, we spoke with Bob Moran, the tournament director, and he thinks it's a great, you know, launching pad for um, not only U.S. tennis players, but anyone who's been playing from the Sunshine Double and is about to make the journey over to Europe for the clay swing. Charleston, you know, with the green clay and you're still in the U.S. with nice, you know, sunny, warm weather. Um, it's it's kind of a good launching pad before, you know, the thick of the clay season and the, the slower red clay. So I think in that respect, you know, players really enjoy it um, as a way to dip their toes into the clay uh, before they head over to um, the European swing for the next several months. Yeah, I, I would probably agree with that perspective. Um, it's probably less of a shock. I think it's probably good to have that transitional point. Um, as you say, for American tennis, um, having a versatile player, um, getting started on clay is really important. Um, mm -hmm. I've also heard good things about Charleston as a place to visit, uh, particularly when talking to... You should definitely visit. If you okay. Get <laughs> It's up there. It's up there. Um, I've certainly thought good things when I was sort of watching on TV the last couple of years. Um, and uh, it does tend to be very much a, a very positive fan experience for, for those who visit. So, um, yeah, nice old school, you know, Southern hospitality and just the staff and the volunteers and just from the media perspective too, everything, they take really good care of the media. And I think just really do a good job to make sure that they're, you know, putting their, their signature on every aspect of the event. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's a, it's a really cool event, but and I actually think that whilst there's probably some, I see some complaints on Twitter around, well, some people who may be more concerned about the way that the WTA clay season is structured and that um, they're not playing on clay. That's very similar to Roland Garros until Rome at the earliest. Mm -hmm. um, and there's not many of the 250 status and sort of up to that point, you've got Charleston, which is green clay, kind of this halfway house. As we talked, you've got Stuttgart, which is this weird indoor clay. And then you've got Madrid, which is high altitude clay. Um, I don't think Charleston's um, really con contributing much to that um, as a problem. I think it, it's a good starting point, um, as we've kind of already said. Uh, and... Um, it's also not complete. I, I talked about being relevant before, like, um, you know, Jabir kicked off a very good clay season off getting to the final in Charleston last year. Um, it was just unfortunate drawing back to Lynette in round one of Roland Garros that kind of meant it didn't translate to the one everyone really cares about. Um, and likewise, I think a few years back, 2017, Ostapenko got to the final the year she won Roland Garros. Um, so, yeah, I'm kind of going off with a monologue on this, uh, but um, that's kind of how I uh, how I kind of see Charleston is it, uh, as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, is there anything from from the Charleston event that we're kind of looking at seeing as a building block as the start of the clay season that um, what kind of stories are you spotting it setting up, Hanlon? Well, that's a good point, Nick, that you mentioned about Ons, um, you know, well, A, of course, you know, she was a fan favorite all week. Every, I think anywhere she goes, she's she's immediately a crowd favorite. But the final yesterday between um, Jabur and Benchich, it was – and both of them, I think, are big. You know, they're big favorites in Charleston from the crowd. Um, obviously, Belinda won it last year. Ons won it this year. But the, the crowd was very pro-Ons. Um, but I'm interested to see, you know, since she's had a slower start to the year, been fighting some injuries here and there um, – I'm interested to see, you know, with this momentum from winning Charleston, where Jabour kind of fits into the mix with, you know, the quote unquote big three on the WTA that people have been, uh, you know, there's been some chatter with Rybakina, Iga and Sabalenka. And, you know, for much of 2022, Ons was the second best player behind Iga. And, and she's had a little bit of a slower start to 2023. So 
one of the bigger stories that I'm um, interested in following is just where Ons fits into the the big three chatter and if she can back up the impressive clay season that she had last year as well, given that the field, I think, is a lot stronger this time in 2023 than it was in 2022. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think, obviously, the winner's always going to set up where this is going. And you're right, with with the context of Ons' slow start due to injury this year, um, that's that's kind of put her she's kind of put her name back in the mix of saying hey I'm still here um mm-hmm. that's what I'm kind of feeling like yeah the, the context of the WTA big three going into clay um with Sviantek, Rabakina and Sabalenka I mean Rabakina and Sabalenka can play on clay and they've shown her having good results on clay but I I'm wondering whether a more accurate sort of clay big three would be Sviantek, Krajikova and Jabur um mm-hmm. yeah I, I agree I think Krajikova and Jabur will be two heavy, heavy contenders for any clay tournament that they enter um, over the next few months. Yeah. Um, and let's face it. I mean, like we had, I think Ons probably, I, I know it probably hasn't, especially for some people, we've got to see how she does when she comes up against um, the names we've mentioned, those those kind of four people um, from both sides of the, uh, both different groups. Uh mm-hmm. But I'd say that the way she won this title um, was uh, pretty impressive. I mean, that beating um, Kasatkina, uh, which was a bit of a battle, that semi-final, oh, yeah. rain rain delays all over the place, really disruptive momentum. And then uh, that final against Bencic, I mean, she really turned it around um, with that performance. Um, did you, um, I think, I know you might not have necessarily been able to catch it, but you might uh, live at the event but did you manage to catch any of that final i did yeah i was uh i i saw probably as i saw the full second set and then i saw about half of the first set um and yeah it was it was really impressive from ons i think just she played you know her best tennis on some of the biggest points the first set tiebreaker was just so incredible to watch um i'm sure you probably saw highlights of her her tweener book and then the drop shot yeah i think it was like a break point or a set point at five four um, that she fought off and won just an incredible point, just showed us her athleticism and charisma and charm and variety, really everything. I think we got the full Ons experience yesterday in Charleston. Yeah, I think I think so too. I mean, I watched that. Um, I was watching the final and uh, uh, saw the tweener kind of live and I, I did sort of audibly shout. I was like, <laughs> whoa! <laughs> yeah, you should have heard the, the press room. I happened to be... Um, in the media center when in the TV was on and um, and everyone just erupted and in, in, in awe of just the Hans's incredible hands and athleticism. Yeah. Uh, which we we've known about for ages and uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah, we go. Yeah. Wow. And probably the only, only WTA player who really goes for those kind of shots and really is able to pull them off as well. Yeah. And I mean, it, the impressive thing was not only did she make that and then she hit a, you know, her signature drop shot for a winner on the next, uh, the next ball. So it was, yeah, definitely the shot of the year so far. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be on those highlights reels for the rest of the year, I'd say. Oh. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that's, uh, well, that was exciting anyway. Um, how do you reckon, uh, I mean, obviously that it, it, it did help get her back to, um back into the match um probably started pushing the momentum back in her favor um how do you think uh belinda bencic is going to look back on that match missed opportunity or i think i mean in some yeah in some ways yes um she there are certainly some points that didn't go her way at the end of the first set maybe some chances that she could have or should have taken um but overall and i you know right before i left charleston i was able to catch um the Belinda Bencic press conference and she was in really positive spirits more, much more so than I would have thought. Um, so she seemed like she, you know, was pleased, really pleased with her efforts this week. Obviously she had a big win over Jesse Pagula in the semifinals. Um, so I, I think she was, she was happy to be back in the final again. Obviously the outcome didn't go her way, but you can tell she and Ans have just a great relationship and a lot of respect for each other. They had some really nice words and nice moments um, during the trophy ceremony and Belinda, yeah, like I said, impressed. Just she overall, she seemed in good spirit. So I think she'll take positives from this week for the most part. Yeah, uh, 
I think I, that's, that's good to hear, actually. Um, and I think she's, you know, she shouldn't be too hard on herself. I think a lot of that momentum shift was down to Ons more than her necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's it's a positive loss. And I agree that whenever Pagula was uh, really impressive, considering Pagula kind of, you have to be having, having a really good day to beat Pagula most of the time. Uh, when yeah, I, I don't think Pagula's going to give it to you. Yeah, yeah, she's not going to give it to you. She doesn't have many bad days. Um, and even then, she's one of those players who can win on a bad day. So... Um, yeah, I would say, uh, yeah, overall positive. Um, hopefully this is for Benchich. This is the year that she kind of maybe makes a bit more headway at Roland Garros. Cause I was surprised when I looked this up after the Charleston final, that she's never been past the third round. That is, yeah, that is shocking. I feel like Belinda is someone who has really underachieved at, at majors. Um, it's kind of shocking that she hasn't won one, to be honest. I think she's been, she's been around tour so long. It's, it's, crazy that she's only 26 um because i think she just bursted onto the wta scene so early and she's she's had a lot of big signature career wins you know obviously some of her best tennis has come at the olympics or billy jean king cup when she's playing for switzerland but i'm really interested to see if she can put it together on the on the major stages because she certainly has the talent and i think you know the field is is there's a pack at the top starting to break away a little bit so i'm interested to see if is belinda part of this pack or is she going to be on the outskirts She's got a lot of potential to be part of the pack. Um, I think does, she yeah. deserve, she's been in three WTA 500 finals this year. And um, a WTA 500 is a really hard tournament to win at the minute because it's usually stacked draw. I think oh the, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were looking at the, um, at the, the entry list for Stuttgart yesterday after Charleston and seeing the names, you know, Paula Badosa and qualifying and just anyone who's ranked like outside of the top 25, playing qualifying. I know that was similar in, in Doha earlier this year too. It's, it's absurd. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it, it, on the one hand, it means that you kind of almost get big tournaments on a, on a regular basis. Uh, but on the other hand, obviously you, you get less opportunities to see um, big name players. So um, mm-hmm. swings and roundabouts, but I would say that I'm usually much more excited for WTA 500 than an ATP 500. Um, yeah, as a general, as of late, the past few months, WTA 500s have been pretty, uh, pretty explosive. Uh, yeah, so there's plenty there. Um, are there any other stories from Charleston in the uh, the singles before we we talk about the doubles? Any other stories from the Charleston singles that kind of catch catching your eye? Yeah, no, I think the other one is, and this was a stat that was circulating throughout tennis Twitter. Um, you probably saw, but it was the first time that all top four seeds had advanced to the semifinals since 2001 or, or 2000, I think. Um, and I think that's a bigger sign of, of more stability at the top. And what I mentioned earlier about this core pack of players breaking away a little bit, it seems uh, not, only you know, outside and none of the, you know, the big three that we talked about that, you know, some are speculating Iga, Rybakina, Sabalenka, none of them were in the draw, but Benchich, Jabur, um, Pagula and Kasatkina were all the, the top four seeds. They all advanced to the semifinals. And I think it's just another great showing for the WTA. And then it was another really classic final. Um, we've we've seen some really good finals this year. Obviously, the Australian Open was the highlight, I would say. But um, this Charleston final was, was a close second in my book. Yeah, I, I remember. You know, I was really excited for this Charleston final going into it because I remembered how good that bench at Shibur final was in 2022. Um, and yeah, they they really did deliver um, uh, good entertainment. I mean, that crowd was so engaged with the match, particularly with everything uh, Jabir was trying to pull off. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. And um, I yeah, I mean, Benchich and Krajikova, who are currently ranked 11 and 12 in the world at the minute, in my head, I treat them like top 10 players. Um, I agree. I, and... I think the only one, I, I think it probably wouldn't be long before they're both back in, probably expensive mate uh, of Kasatkina and maybe Zachary. Um That was going to be my next question. Who would you, who would you bump out of the top 10 right now for in place of those two? Zachary and Kasatkina, I think. Much as I like Kasatkina as a player, I do enjoy watching her when she's playing well, but it's just not, she doesn't do it consistently enough at the minute. Yeah. And Zachary is, you know, she, um, I, I think we all know this, but a lot of it just seems to be mental at this point. Yeah. So she can have, you know, good weeks and bad weeks, but that seems that the later stages of events is when she struggles the most. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm 
quite happy enough having, um, yeah, Kvitova back in there. I think that was a great result for her from Miami. Um, the, the entire top six deserves it um, mm-hmm. right now, I think, even even with Garcia and Goff um, in there. Yeah, Garcia is another name. I'm I'm curious to see how she um, how she does over the clay season because it seems that her 2023 has been a little bit quieter because she ended 2022 on such a big note, winning the WTA Finals, and then um, since then it it's it seems like lately we haven't heard you know her name very much. She has been ac- lacking that little bit of an edge um, mm-hmm. recently. I will agree with you there. Um, all right, so you, we I think maybe a lot of the people watching this didn't catch the Charleston doubles final. Um, it was an epic scoreline. It was at 12-10 in the final set tie break. It was actually 14-12. 14-12. I knew there was, was 12 in there. Yeah, it, and, was, um, it was wild. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to talk us talk us through maybe um, what happened? And um, are there any highlights out there on YouTube that people could go and catch? There, um, I haven't checked YouTube, but I know that the WTA and the uh, Charleston Open Twitter account both have you know, the match point uh, clip on their, um, on their feed. And the WTA also has some Instagram highlights on their feed too. Um, but it was a, it was a terrific match. The weather conditions were, were really challenging. It was damp and kind of cold and rainy a little bit at the beginning. Um, and Juju almost and Ina Shibahara, they had never played together before, but they had played against each other a lot and knew each other growing up in California. So they, you know, were very familiar opponents. They were the top seeds and they just came out. Um, they came out of the races quickly there. They were intentionally, you know, trying to push Danielle Collins back and not let her dictate the points from the baseline. So they were very strategic about throwing in heavy top spin lobs. They got into just a lot of cross court exchanges and did a good job of executing their game plan in the first set. Um, I think Dez and Danielle came out a little bit cold, too. Um, so they were down, uh, Dez and Danielle were down 6-0-3-1, and they lost a few crucial no-ad um, games before that. So in doubles, obviously, the no-ad scoring, really, you know, the margins are so slim. And if you lose a few of those, then, you know, you could be in trouble early. Um, but luckily, you know, they ended up turning it around. Um, for or Luckily, you know, I say for the American fans, because the, cr- the crowd was very pro-Collins and pro-Krowchuk. Um, but they turned it around. They They and they told us this in their press conference. We, we actually got to talk to Danielle several times throughout the week, and she was such a delight to, to hear from. But they um, they just decided to be more aggressive at the net. They were calling more set plays. They were moving and poaching more to get Juju and Inna uh, thinking a little bit more of the net and catch them off guard. And it, it seemed to work. And, and I think Danielle really loosened up a little bit. Her ground strokes were you know more consistent. She was being more aggressive at the net in the second set. And they just fought. Um, and kept fighting, and they fought off two match points in the match breaker as well, and ended up winning 14 to 12 on a, a long point that I think Danielle closed out with the forehand. Um, so it was it was a really exciting finish, and I think it was a great display of doubles. Um, the crowd was was very energetic, and and well, it was well attended too, despite the the difficult weather. And we got to talk with Danielle and Des and Juju and in a in uh, press conferences yesterday, and. Both teams, you know, despite the outcome, seemed like they were in good spirits and thought it was a great match. Yeah, and, and it well, let's face it, it was. And I think, yeah, even even losing by uh, fourteen twelve, I mean, like that's gutting. But like, you know, yeah. you were close. You know, you had a good day anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, a bit like with um, with Benchich, you know, sad to lose, but not a lot else wrong. If that makes any sense. Um, yeah. Is there any signs that? Um, Collins and Kravchik could continue this partnership or is this going to be a one-off? Um, that's, that's a good point. I, I, we asked them that in press and um, Kravchik alluded to the fact that they will definitely play doubles together again. And I think it helps that they're, they're really close friends. And this is something that Danielle mentioned throughout the week when we talked with her on the podcast is that, you know, doubles is such a mental health outlet for her and escape. She loves playing with close friends like Desiree, who can lift her up during you know tough weeks on the singles um, circuit? Obviously, you know Danielle didn't have her best week in singles this year. She lost to Shelby Rogers in the first round, but she stuck around to play doubles with with Desiree, and they ended up you know winning all four of their matches in third set uh, tiebreakers, which was you know equally as exciting and also probably excruciating for them at times. But I think you know um, they and they made the Wimbledon semifinals last year, so it wasn't the first time that they had had success 
as a team. But um, then at the same time, you know, Desiree Krauschick plays regularly with Demi Shores, and they've got a, um, a title to defend in Stuttgart in a couple of weeks. So I'm interested to see if, um, you know, if Des and Demi keep playing together throughout the year or if, you know, she's maybe having second thoughts after doing so well with Danielle, if, if they become a more consistent partnership. Because Danielle did mention throughout the week that she wants to focus more on doubles, um, you know, as regularly as possible, just given the the social and mental health benefits that it brings to her. I think it just gives her peace of mind and some t- a sense of camaraderie on the court that you don't get in singles. Yeah. And um, I suppose with that, then, again, doubles is a, can be a bit of a, uh, a, a sort of a, a magic roundabout um, of partnerships that like mm-hmm. um you see people changing a lot i mean like it's uh we've only really even like krachika for instance Yakova, although they've been a fairly solid partnership they've both played with other people as well every now and again um mm-hmm. but they're kind of the exception it's very rare to see um a sign of a set doubles team uh like that so i wouldn't be surprised if Kravchik and almos despite the fact they are top 10 doubles pairing um you know that could happen that does seem to to happen on a fairly regular basis um especially since Kravchik is clearly a very strong doubles player F- funny enough whenever whenever talking I always think how is she obviously she's won 500s and has had some success on the tour um good results otherwise she wouldn't be top 10 mm-hmm. um but I would uh I would be su- but um I was surprised that she's not She's only been to one major final in doubles, but she's a multiple mixed doubles champion. Um, she is, yeah. She's won four mixed mixed doubles majors, which is, you know, it's kind of rare to have a mixed, you know, such thing as a mixed doubles specialist um, in tennis just because the opportunities to play mixed doubles are so rare. But, uh, you know, Desiree has won two with Neil Skubsky and, and two with uh, Joe Salisbury. So she's made quite the name for herself on the mixed doubles court. Yeah um so yeah and, and that's that's kind of where i recognize her name more often from because i think the first time i came across it was when she won wimbledon yeah. i think that's probably um, when she hit you know mainstream tennis fans because i didn't i wasn't too familiar with her until a few years ago when i started covering doubles more consistently but she's she's got a great game great net game and this was interesting too danielle you know went went on and on about how great of a doubles player she is and you know danielle thinks that uh, Desiree could be a top 100 singles player if she um, if she dedicated, you know, to, if she wasn't, you know, strictly dedicated to, to doubles. I think we could probably say that with pretty much all the doubles, top doubles players, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely a lot of them. Um, uh, what's the, yeah, sure, I haven't checked it for a while, but like his, um, yeah, the the, the current uh, sort of uh, doubles um top obviously we mentioned some of the pairings like obviously we saw um shibahara obviously was in that charleston final with another partner mm-hmm. um are there any other kind of doubles names that we should be um looking out for i think another team that we haven't mentioned yet or two other teams um gabby dabrowski and louisa stefani they just got back together um at indian wells and they have you know obviously a very strong track record i think they're a team that when they catch catch fire they could certainly rival the checks if anyone could and then uh, Nicole Melikar Martinez and Ellen Perez are also a very strong established team. Um, I've had a little bit of a slower start to the year, but they just made the semis in Miami. So I think they'll feel a lot more confident heading into the, the clay swing. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I was say, um, another name that I've, I've just, uh, you know, has dawned on me as someone who's obviously good in singles and doubles is Ostapenko. Um, oh, yeah, that's true. She's, yeah, she's, you know, never a dull moment watching her. <laughs> either her, uh nadia i think yeah nadia kitchenock have had or Lud, i can't remember which kitchenock sister it is but they've had a lot of success too and are one of the more established teams at the top yeah um yeah so i i that's always that's always funny i i i, I sometimes wonder oh could ostapenko end up winning a major in singles and doubles mm-hmm. um she had the right partner maybe yeah don't count her out it depends on the week though you know but you know her game plan is never going to change <laughs> you know hitting the ball as hard as she can and you know some days it goes in some days it doesn't yeah and sometimes she and like you know she'll have a week where it, where it goes in or maybe once uh, and once in the bloom in her career two weeks Ooh. yeah um, never quite know with her yeah all right um 
let's i don't think either of us watched much of the other wta tournament that happened uh, in uh bogota um it was 250 fairly weak field um to be honest um won by tatiana maria who was the defending champion obviously last year's Wimbledon semi-finalist she kind of needed to do that because she was in serious danger of dropping out the top 100 if she didn't um she probably would have still got automatic entry with some withdrawals into Roland Garros, but it would have made things a little bit tricky. Um, so for her, from her perspective, um, great result. Um, but yeah, I think obviously was the the biggest name uh, in that draw. Um, the other name that probably got a little bit of a story out of it was uh, the Brit Fran Jones. And I'm not just saying that because I am a Brit. Um I did see her, yeah, see a lot of, of Brits that I follow on Twitter talking, and not just Brits, but other people talking about her on Twitter, in Twitter and how cool her story is. So that was nice to see. Yeah. She made the semifinals, right? Yeah, she was got semifinals. I think she beat um, Lara Pagossi in the quarters, which I was not expecting because um, yeah, obviously Pagossi is um, defending finalists. I think, yeah, she, she and Maria had that final last year. But yeah, um, so for those who aren't aware, obviously Fran um, hasn't played for a while. She was ranked 800 and something before this tournament. Now she's jumped about 400 places or something like that in the rankings as a result of reaching these semi, um, the Bogota semifinals. Um, she's, I mean, you can see she's, like, she's missing, due to a developmental issue, she's missing um, a fin- finger on both hands, um, but still able to play professional world-class tennis um and yeah pretty remarkable yeah (laughs) i think a lot of us brits even the brits first became aware of her when she got i think she played in australian open in 21 or 22 um um she she beat a decent player in the run-up and then got a wild card in and um put in a decent showing and uh yeah it's good to see um having a good week in uh bogota and uh, hopefully this will see her kind of getting back a bit further up the rankings. Yeah, I remember remember hearing her name a couple of years ago. It was probably when she had that breakout Australian Open tournament and, and thinking how how cool of a story that was. So it's good to see her, um, you know, have another big tournament like that. Another name, too, um, that I wanted to mention from Bogota, even though I didn't I wasn't able to watch it since I was in Charleston, is is Peyton Stearns. Um, the American player who was a um, former standout at University of Texas. I got the chance to watch her a couple weeks ago at the ATX Open in Austin, Texas, and was really impressed just with her um, her fight and her her obviously her play on court, but just more of the competitive nature. And um, she, I think she she was playing um, who was it? Not Heather Dart. I think she and Katie Balter had like a three and a half hour match first round in Austin and. Uh, it was it was insane. I was there courtside for it. Um, they finished you know after midnight, and I think Peyton is showing yet again that you know transitioning from playing in college in the in the U.S. to the pro tour, you know you can have a successful path. You don't have to go always necessarily go straight to the pro tour, but you know Peyton's already climbed inside the top 100. That was her first WTA final, so I'm excited to see where she goes. Um, you know the clay and grass and then also back you know to the summer hard courts in the u.s yeah i think yeah we are definitely uh, look it's, she's an has, she's a name that i've seen people talking about um uh definitely uh one that's um i think we're kind of expecting to uh, see some regular results from we're not entirely sure where her ceiling could be yet but i'm interested to see how her career develops um and as you're right, you're right. Yet another uh, sign of the um, success of the U.S. college system, which we are seeing more and more stories of. Danielle Collins being one of them um, in the exactly, yeah. game, um, and, and a lot of it seems a lot of Brits too on the doubles circuit. You know, I know Neil Neil Skubsky and Joe Salisbury both played, and and probably more. But those are two names that come to mind. Cam Nori, Cam. Oh yeah, Cam Nori. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of you know a lot of British talent. Um, that we're seeing, you know, in the pro singles and double circuit that were products of the college system as well. I mean, there's one we'll talk about at the minute that's like sort of um, uh, seems to be taking the college route, even though she seems to be having semi some some success already on the pro tour is uh, Diana Schneider. Um, oh, yeah. Her story is really interesting. Um, so that's a name to keep uh, keep an eye out. Um, 
keep an eye out for. But yeah, uh, Bogota was interesting. Um, I, it's kind of nice that sort of the best friends of Jabir and Maria both won titles this week. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was probably a fun um, uh, sort of FaceTime call, uh, potentially, that they had. Yeah, uh, a, cool, a cool moment to share. <laughs> um, I obviously... It's difficult to know what to expect from, I think, Tatiana Marina, Maria had a bit of a dream run to that Wimbledon semi-final, got a little bit, uh, just I was fortunate she was able to flummox Ostapenko enough to um, to put her in that position. Um, but name to keep an eye out for over the clay season, um, maybe. And I think just a, a good feel-good story too, being you know a mom on tour and being a good ambassador for WTA players who are, you know, like, Vika and other players here also. Uh, Vera Zivanareva was another name in the doubles field of the Charleston Open. So it's good to see a contingent of of mothers on tour who are, you know, not only able to make it work, but still having really good results, you know, into their mid to late 30s. Yeah. Okay. Lots of enthusiasm for Dana Schneider here. Um, from yeah, she our had Richard a good Schneider. match with Paula Bedosa at Charleston. I only got to catch a little bit of it, but there's been a lot of hype around Diana Schneider and, you know, what path she's going to take. Is she going to stick with the college system is she going to you know turn pro um officially it'll be interesting to see you know her past given her immediate success on tours at such a young age yeah uh, yeah i know I, and let's face it look she came to our attention because she had that brilliant match with maria sakari as well so she's she's mm-hmm. 18 and she's already testing the big names on the wta tour right now uh, yeah so yeah but hey if um we're not going to discourage her from uh going to college um so um i reckon um it's probably a good time to see what um our viewers are uh asking us um so i think most of the chat at the minute is um currently discussing um like a um how we are seeing a potential power ranking or top four favorites for roland garros i think it's a little bit too early to be kind of saying that um to be honest but um I, and so I expect mine will probably evolve quite a bit um, over um, over the next few weeks. Um, but I'd say, I mean, if you were to like pick four names off the top of your head, um, who you'd say are like the main contenders for RG as of Charleston, say they move Roland Garros to starting next Monday. <laughs> where are we where are we going with this one? Hmm. I mean, I think you've got to go eager is yeah. the favorite um just given her you know clay's i think her best surface she went on a tear this time last year and won you know every tournament she played in um i think iga and i i kind of agree with you with ans and um Barbara kudrikova as being maybe a two and three and then um i would say sabalenka and pagula maybe as my four and five okay or four and not necessarily in that order but those are all names i know you know pagula had a pretty solid clay season last year from what i remember as well um so those are those are names that stick out to me right now but i'm sure there's probably some that i'm forgetting yeah i do you know what i would probably mention um those names as well definitely i would say the same thing there's the top three of Sviantec and it's all going to be about Sviantec, uh uh all about Sviantec and how she is um she seems to be so much comfortable on clay compared to pretty much anyone else on tour apart from maybe krajikova and um mm-hmm. ons depending on the day um so that would be that would be those th- those two along with uh Shviontek. i mean I-, I think it's gonna take a lot to stop her let's see how she does in stuttgart how she does in rome because obviously she, she loves rome she's two-time defending champion there um and then my fourth i mean Pagula's a good shout. I think she is pretty um, strong on clay. Um, Madrid finalist, Roland Garros quarter finalist last year. Um, so uh, I I can I see why you put her lock. I feel like Pagula is always a safe lock to at least get to the quarterfinals or semis. So I don't know if I see her winning it, but I think she'll you know live up to her seating or, or at least yeah. close to it. I mean, I would, I would, but my fourth would probably actually be Elena Rabakina. Um, just because I think she's got a little bit more momentum from the start of the year and mm-hmm. she's pretty comfortable on clay. Um, I can remember overall. how what her past clay results are. So, I mean, of course, you have to throw in Rebecca, Rebecca's she's name a, too. That's a great Roland Garros quarterfinalist. I'm pretty sure she's also won a 250 on clay in her career. Yeah. Um, so she's got pedigree to it. 
Um, the chat seems the best player in the W. I mean, she's the most informed player right now, wouldn't you agree? Yes, 100%. Three big finals, three of the biggest finals mm-hmm. out of four on the um, at the beginning of the year. You have to put her in the mix. So I would put her in there ahead of Sabalenka because I think there's that question mark of how comfortable Sabalenka is on clay. She can do well on it, but she's not, it's not, there's a gap between her on the, and a faster surface. Um, Pagula obviously is like, how does she do when she comes across the really elite players on clay? Um, mm-hmm. Like Shiontek, like Krajikova, probably also include Ons in there. Um, and um, I'm interested I, to see how Coco Goff does on Goff? clay. I mean, Goff is obviously a, you know, she was a finalist at Roland Garros last year. I think she, she usually does really well on the surface, but we know that the forehand struggles that she's had and just, you know, bad matchup issues, especially against Iga. But I know that she, you know, she's done well to get consistently deep at most tournaments that she plays in, but then she seems to, as of late, really be struggling against players ranked, you know, in the top 10. I, I think her, I forget what it is, but her record against top 10 players right now is not very strong. No, it's not. Uh, but hey, she's 19. It can get better. And it depends on who's around yeah. her as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Ghost, your comment. And then I'm going to make another point on another player before we wrap up. But um, yeah, she does. Um, I mean, um, she did well at Indian Wells. She's done well at the she did well at the Tokyo Olympics, which was a really slow hard court. As I said, I'm pretty sure she got WTA 50 and she beat Serena Williams on clay. And whilst clay was probably not Serena's favorite surface, she won three Roland Garros titles and mm. was unbeatable for clay on clay in 2013. So, um, you can't say she couldn't play on clay or anything like that. So, same with Sharapova, too. Yeah, Sharapova, yeah. So, um, yeah, I definitely at the until until results prove me otherwise, I'm putting Rebecca in the mix. Um, I think the only uh, and that's uh, that's a question for you, Hanlon, if you want to take this one from Ghost that's on the screen. Oh, yeah, um, that's a good question. I um, I think a lot of, there's two different sides of the this, this story because there have been some people that say, you know, saying that Goff and Pagula need to be smarter about their scheduling and that they've, you know, Pagula's already played an insane amount of matches so far in 2023. But, you know, after talking with Pagula and press a little bit, I think I know for Pagula, it helps her a lot. She likes the practice. She likes just the match play and the, the pressure moments that you still get in doubles, the net, the volleys, the net play for golf. I, I'm, I'm not sure though. Um, and I've heard a lot of commentators speculate, you know, does she need to take an extended time off on tour and really just work on the mechanics of her forehand and think about it more long, you know, short-term pain, long-term gain type mentality. Um, so, you know, that maybe that's the, that would be a good recipe for her to just take a little bit of time off and, and really work on her forehand. But, uh, you know, right now it seems to be, even if she's struggling in singles and losing earlier than she would like to, you know, Miami was a great example. I think sticking around in doubles and grabbing a title and getting some confidence there, you know, hopefully that can help her singles game as well. Yeah. And look, we've seen plenty of players over the years, cut their teeth in doubles and that's really accelerated their sequ- uh, uh, singles. Um, mm-hmm. Look at Ash Barty. Um, she, she had some double success before um, signing women singles. Krajikova. Sviontek what was, went pretty deep in the Roland Garros semifinals. Um, I think she semifinals of Roland Garros in 2020 when she won the singles title. Um, Either semis or fi- Was that when she played with Bethany Maddox-Sands? I, can't, I, think, yes. she, I think they made the finals. Um, yeah, right in the final, yeah. But they, yeah, they did really well. Um, and then my, uh, I think the other name I've seen kind of in the chat that's out there as a uh, as a potential contender, maybe, um, would be um, Caroline Garcia. Um, that I'm just going to mention her just because I've seen her name in the chat. Obviously, we talk about Roland Garros, we forget it is the French Open. They are going to be hyped to have a top four, mm-hmm. top five seed who is a genuine contender. Garcia can play well on clay she's a Roland, she she's a Roland Garros doubles champion from yeah, last yeah, year right the defending champion this year with Christina <laughs> Mladenovic so and it'll be interesting to see how she handles that pressure and you know the singles pressure especially being a top seed yeah so yeah that's be why yeah so I think sport and politics put Garcia in the mix there and like I think if Garcia turns around this kind of if she can get over this barrier that she seems to be hitting at the minute mm-hmm then for sure she's a contender because we know what her top level looks like and we know it's fantastic. Um, and then 
Okay, Ghost is asking if Beatrice had admired a contender. That's a good question. I'm, I'm not too familiar with her clay experience. Um, she does. I mean, she has a, a huge upside in singles and doubles. So I think she's capable of beating anyone you know that she walks on the court uh, with. But I, I'm not as familiar with her her past clay court experience. Maybe you are though. Uh, not massively. I'm more familiar with her as a grass and a hard court player. Um, mm -hmm. She's not a bad clay court player by any means, but um, I don't see her as a as a contender. She's probably got the game for clay, um, but um, I I wait to be convinced. I'm yet to be convinced. I, let's see how results go mm -hmm. over the next couple of weeks. But she's not one of the first people that comes to mind. Wasn't uh, it the grass yeah. grass season last year when she had that impressive run? Was it, that yeah. was on grass, right? Great, great grass court run, and then exactly. first round exit at Wimbledon, and then yeah, that's right. Oh yeah, I remember David. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was funny. Uh, I understand why he did that. I look, she would potentially, I would have put her in the last sixteen, maybe a quarterfinal, but uh, mm. I, I probably got caught up in the hype a little bit. But that was a bit like Jabir Ron Garros last year. Great run in, didn't happen at the first round. Um, all right, I think that's. Um, Let's start. <laughs> Someone tipped Sitsi Pass to win the US Open last year. I think that was you, John. <laughs> uh, don't do that. Um, right. I think we'll start um, wrapping it up uh, there. Um, obviously, this week, WTA Tour is on a break whilst we play Billie Jean King Cup. Um, I'm actually going to be going to GB versus France. I'll be seeing Caroline Garcia oh, cool. live um, and in person. Be a good match too, I would think. Yeah, well, Amaradikhan is not playing, so she's going to be up against probably who's the tops. Who'd be the top seed? Probably Harriet Dart. Harriet Dart, yeah. Which you know, Dart on the good day will make a match interesting. Um, is it a home a tie or a away away tie? Home from Coventry in the UK. Okay, so, well, that you know that should favour you guys. Yeah, well, that, I'm I'm looking forward to it anyway. I'm not going in with massive expectations. If the but uh, yeah, I fully believe the uh the brit girls can uh, do us proud and i believe um the american uh, american girls have got um austria at home this weekend they do, yeah and i that I, I think that should be a pretty straightforward tie for them and that i'm also interested to see just given the depth of the u.s uh women right now i i really think that they're um on paper should be the best team maybe outside of the checks that might be a 50 50 matchup but to me you know, there's no reason why the Americans shouldn't make the finals. And against, I don't know if they're on the same side of the draw as the Czech Republic, but I would put them up against anyone just given their depth in singles and doubles right now. Um, who's on the U.S. team at the minute? Who's playing? Um, this weekend, they'll have Coco Goff, uh, Jesse Pagula, Danielle Collins, Taylor Towns, or no, Katie McNally, and um, Sophia oh, wow. Kennan was a last minute replacement for Madison Keys. Oh, wow. Um, so, and I think just the, given that the, they have so many options in singles and doubles. So I would love to see them, you know, square off against the Czech Republic, like a full um, U.S. squad versus a, a fully present um, Czech Republic squad in the finals. Cause that would be a, you know, a great matchup in singles and doubles. That would be so hard to call. I think it would be mm -hmm. so difficult to how they would go. Yeah. Proper. I might give the Czechs the slight edge, um, but I think it would be a really good match. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I, so that that would be sort of the ideal scenario wherever the finals is held. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just having a look at the uh, the British lineup um, for the um, uh, yeah Austria. I don't think they've got they've got Julie Grabher, but I don't think they've got anyone else. Yeah, I think she's the only top 100 player in the lineup. Um, um, and then for well for the tie that I'm going to, um, Caroline Garcia, Alize Corne. Clara Burrell and Christina Mladenovic are the French team. That's a really strong team. That's a pretty tough team, yeah. Yeah. Cornet, obviously, master disruptor. Christina Mladenovic, mm -hmm. multiple, is she a multiple major doubles champion? She, she definitely is, yeah. She has six, six women's doubles majors. Yeah. So she's going to be tough to beat. And then the British team is Heather Watson, who um, has been sort of a very ex highly experienced player, um, has a great day. Um, Radicani was not playing. Harriet Dart, Katie Bolter, they can be quite tough. And then Alicia Barnett and Olivia Nichols, who were a doubles team that kind of emerged last oh, yeah. year. They had a great year last year. They kind that. of exploded onto the scene a little bit. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a, I think that's an upset uh, worthy team though. If they, you know, get the home crowd behind them, I could see them. Cause didn't, um, didn't the Brits have a really strong showing at the Billie Jean King cup 
finals last year and, and they, beat they, some teams. They, they ran it close. They did yeah. all right. They ran it close. Um, yeah. yeah, I would imagine that they'd be playing Garcia Maladnovic. So yeah, that would be a top class doubles match. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't think Mladenovic is in you know as much form as she was you know a few years ago at her peak. So you know who knows? I wouldn't count count the UK out. No, no. Well, um, I think it'll be a fantastic atmosphere, and I'm uh, looking forward to it. Um, greatly um when's the next um tennis event that you're going to be attending hanlon oh that's a good question i was a little sad leaving uh charleston yesterday because this is you know for american tennis fans and media this is a, a tough time if you can't travel overseas knowing that you know we're sort of passing the baton to you guys um so i, I probably won't go to another tournament until the tour comes back to the u.s um sometime in july or august maybe i'm only a few hours away from atlanta so i I usually go to um it's an easy drive for me to go to the atp 250 event at the atlanta open um i'd also like to go potentially to the us open or uh, maybe one of the the tournaments in canada so we'll see 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 see, see how everything takes you see who lets you in with a press pass yeah i mean exactly see what the, how... the wta calendar looks like this fall too they still haven't announced that so i'm eagerly waiting i think as we all are to see you know if they're going to china or gonna be in the us or europe or what that looks yeah. like yeah, I, I I know they need to sort that out, but understandably why they I, I understand why they haven't. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, well, and um we'll be hopefully getting some on the ground reports from the Talking Tennis channel, not from myself, but from John. Obviously, hopefully people have enjoyed his Esther Real updates. Um he'll be on the ground in Barcelona and Madrid. Um, which will oh, be awesome. great to great to see him bringing sort of um updates to us from there. Um and yeah, I'll be back with the the WTA um, weekly check ins. Um, if not wet next week, then uh, it will probably probably next week to talk about look ahead to Stuttgart and then review Stuttgart and uh, go on um, other weeks. But uh, Helen, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thanks for sh- showing those insights, and it's been so much fun talking about doubles for once. Um, yeah, it has. I like the, like the mix of singles and doubles, but glad uh, glad you guys invited me on and enjoyed talking with you. All right. Well, thanks, Hanlon. Thanks, everyone, for watching. Subscribe to the channel, like the video if you enjoyed it, and uh, we'll talk tennis with you soon. Take care. Thanks, guys. If you enjoyed this video, make sure you hit that like button. Don't forget to subscribe and click that notification bell so you don't miss out on all things tennis. Sports Social Podcast Network.